That video, Matt said it takes a village to raise a child. It reminded me, uh, Elsie Cunningham, it used, used to go to church here. They're, they live in Woodland now. But he, he would always say it takes a village to raise an idiot. <laughs> I don't know. Just make me, it would always make me laugh every time he said it. So anyway, happy Mother's Day to all of you idiot raisers out there. That's great. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. It really is a good day. I'm so glad you guys decided to join us here this morning and and uh, it'll be good. We got some stuff coming up <clears throat> a little bit later, baptisms and yeah, 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 all kinds of good stuff like that. So we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into our uh, sermon this morning. It is in Matthew chapter 25. We're in the, the gospel of Matthew chapter 25. And uh, we've been working through a series called The Upside Down Kingdom, where we're looking at these stories that Jesus told as the master storyteller that he was. And uh, where, you know, he would tell these kind of stories of everyday life, usually, that uh, had some sort of very spiritual significance to it. And usually it was the way he would tell stories is that he would tell something, again, a story of something kind of everyday, commonplace thing, but flip it on its head and make it mean something that maybe, you know, left people scratching their heads or going, what, what in the world? You know, I mean, sometimes people just didn't understand what he was talking about. Other times they understood and didn't like it. Uh, you know, sometimes they understood and we were just like, I don't even know what to think about that, you know, but it was, it was, it, he, he made people think and he made people consider a kingdom that could be, uh, because what he was establishing in the world was, uh, a kingdom that the world had never, ever seen before. It was a kingdom built on something other than power, something other than greed, something other than, you know, manipulation. It was, it was a kingdom built on something totally, totally different. And so pay no attention to the screaming. Uh, and so, <laughs> so all is well. Uh, but anyway, so we, um, anyway, we're, we're going to dive into this story. Now, this story that we're going to hit today is, as we call it, the parable of the talents, the parable of the talents. And it's one of, uh, you know, his more famous uh, parables that he told. Uh, it was also, as a kid to me, one of the more confusing um, stories. It, there was like the bad guy, if you want to call him the bad guy in this story, to me as a kid, didn't seem like a bad guy. And I was always very confused as to why Jesus was so tough on this guy. Uh, and so we'll take a look at that. But um, let, let's just kind of look at this story. <clears throat> um, Matthew chapter 25, start with verse 14. He says this, he says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Let me grab a drink. <clears throat> to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each, by the way, I don't have any slides this morning, I just got that one, so just, just dial it in, okay, here we go. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, let me, let me stop here and just kind of unpack what's going on. Um, talents back in Jesus' time meant something much different than it means to us today. In fact, we get our word talent, which we normally mean by 
special abilities or skills or something like that, somebody who's talented in that way. Um, you know, we get our word from this story, actually. The English word talent comes directly from this story because the idea of God giving you something uh, that he would like for you to do something with, it, that's the idea of, of a talent, right? And so it actually came from this story. So, but in, back in this day, a talent was a, a unit of money. And it wasn't just a, you know, he didn't flip them a, a few quarters. That's not what it was. A talent back in this time was about what an average worker could make over the course of 15 years. It was a, it was a significant sum of money. So put that, let's fast forward, you know, do the math into today's term. We're talking rough, roughly, a talent is about a million dollars. About a million dollars, okay? So he gives, he's got these three servants or slaves uh, that he has entrusted his, not just a little bit of pocket change to, but basically his entire estate to, okay? And, and he is, he is going to go away on a long journey. He's going to be gone for a long time. And while he's gone in a way, he can't just stop doing business. He's a, he's a, he's a, you know, he's a wise businessman, that sort of thing. So while he's away, he needs somebody to take care of his business interests. So he entrusts his entire estate to these three slaves or these three servants that, that work for him. And to one, he gives the equivalent of $5 million. To the other, he gives the equivalent of $2 million. And to one, he gives the equivalent of $1 million, each according to their own ability, okay? Now, one of the things that used to confuse me about this uh, story as a kid, because Jesus goes into the master, I'm going to read it here in just a second, but the master returns, and, and the, the servants report what they've done with, with what had been given to them. And one of the things that used to confuse me was, like, how, were they, how did they know they were supposed to go and you know, make more money out of this? Why, why wouldn't they just kind of save it and hold on to it, not do anything with it, play it safe? I, I hope knowing the amount of money that was given them, this, those circumstances begins to make a little bit more sense. This is a businessman who had entrusted his estate, his business interests to these servants with the intent, keep working this money in the same way that I would keep working this money, all right? So that, that's kind of where we are, all right? So, Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. 
For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So these three servants give back what the master had invested with them. Two of the servants double the master's investment. One servant decides, I'm going to play it safe. I'm just going to hide it, keep it safe for him. That way I can give him what he gave me when he gets back, right? Now, as a kid, I heard that story going, that seems kind of sensible to me. Like, like what's the evil there? Because evidently it was a great evil because he sent him to the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? So, but, but I mean, Jesus comes down hard on this one guy who he didn't steal from his master. He didn't run off with the money and take the million dollars and run. He, he just took it, buried it, kept it safe, did nothing with it, gave it back to his master when his master showed up. What is the evil there? What could possibly be so wrong? The evil there is that this servant knew that the master had given him charge of an area of his business interest and he did nothing with it. Nothing. And the master calls him lazy. You're evil and you're lazy. You're evil and you're lazy. Now, over the years I've heard lots of different sermons on this passage and usually it has something to do with, you know, usually whenever we got to, you know, drum up support for kids' church or something like that, we roll this parable out and it's like, okay, you know, you guys got to invest in the kingdom and we need you in kids' church and all that kind of stuff. And if you don't, you're evil and slothful and you're probably going to hell and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we, we know, do that. Or I've heard it in terms of, I've heard it in terms of, um, you know, maybe uh, uh, giving, like di- make, making a very direct correlation to wh- how you handle your finances, that everything you have is a blessing from God, it's a gift from God, take it, reinvest it into the kingdom, that, and I've heard it go, go that way too. Oh, that's well and good. I'm not down in any of those, those uh, methods. I, I may threaten hell for kids' church someday too. But, um, but here, here's the deal. I, what I want to focus on this morning is is some, I mean, when you think of the immense value of what the master had given his servants, um, something more valuable than any of them had a right to, more valuable than any of them had a right to, more valuable than anything that they had ever held in their hands before, and the master gave it to them and entrusted with them. And I think about that in terms of, <clears throat> like, what's the most valuable thing that God has given us like of all the things that he's entrusted us, to, entrusted us with or all the things that he's blessed us with, what is the single most valuable thing that he's given us? <clears throat> now, it's Mother's Day. Some of you guys are thinking about your kids. It, it's not them. It's not, they're, they're, they're up there. They're, they're close second maybe. But it's not them. I think that if you would really think about what is the most valuable thing that, that God has given to us and entrusted with us, it would just be simply his love and his grace. His love and his grace. Like the, and, and, and talk about undeserving. We have no right to that from a holy God of the entire universe, right? We have no stake on that that we could go to God and demand it of him. It is just this gift in the same way that these slaves had no business being giving maybe five million and two million or who you know whatever a million dollars entrusted to them. We have 
We have no rights to stand before God and say, you owe us your love and your faithfulness and your forgiveness and your grace. And yet he gives it to us. And I think what Jesus is actually trying to tell us in this story is is he's trying to draw that correlation of the most valuable thing that that the Father could ever give us, he has given to us. And the question he presents to us this morning is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? You have been given the rights to be children of God. You have been embraced wholeheartedly into his family to the point that Scripture calls you a brother or sister of Jesus himself. And so what are we doing with all of that love and all of that grace and all of that forgiveness? What, what are we doing? Is it something that we're just simply receiving and going, thank you, God, so much. That's awesome. I, I, can't, I don't deserve to be forgiven. and You've forgiven me. Thank you, God, so much. And we take it. And we just keep it to ourselves, bury it, keep it safe. It's our little get out of hell free card, right? Or are we taking the most valuable gift that God has given us, his love and his forgiveness, and reinvesting it in others all around us so that it brings back a hundredfold? Now, now, as most of us as Christians, I think, in terms of the way we think financially, most of us, not all of us, most of us, I think, tend to play it a little bit safe financially. We're not big into risky investments. We've heard the horror stories of, you know, people who played a risky investment on the stock market and lost everything, you know, whatever. So, we, you know, we, we, we consider ourselves stewards of what God has given us, and we don't want to go out and be too risky with what God has given us. And so we like the idea of playing it safe. So what if we were to take this investment or invest what God has given us and, and lose it all? And I want you to know that when it comes to this, this beautiful thing, that we call grace and forgiveness and the love of God, it is a guaranteed sure fire win, that when you invest it, it will not come back void. It will not, it cannot come back void. That when we love others, in the same way that hate begets hate, love begets love. That when we choose love over selfishness or love over hate or love over whatever, that it multiplies, that love multiplies. I want to take a minute, and obviously, and I'll let you kind of do do the math on your own in your head, but this applies to all areas of your life, all areas of your life, whether it's at work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your community, whatever the case may be, in your family. Love never doesn't come back as a great investment. <laughs> I, I don't think I was a good grammar, but I'll, I'll work it out later. You guys work it out. You guys, I think you know what I'm talking about. It never doesn't. Uh, there's a double negative there. Okay, so anyway, so it, it can apply to all areas of our life, but today what I want to do is I want to I wanna zero in on one area of life where I think it is uh, applicable today, and I want to talk about the way that we invest that love and that grace into our families. Um, 
it is Mother's Day, and, and we're so thankful for all the mothers in the room this morning, and, and all of you, fathers and everybody else, just aunts and uncles and friends and everybody that's here, that you take the love and, and blessings that God has given you, and you reinvest them in the lives of your friends and your family, and, and that's just amazing. It's awesome. And Jamie and I, you know, we live far from our parents. We, we really wish we could be with our mothers today, I guarantee you. It would be really great. Um, uh, but they get it. They, they get it. They know why we're here, why we're, we chose to live halfway across the continent. And, and um, so they understand that. That said, um, I was thinking earlier about my mom. I have a very sweet mother. She's, she's pretty awesome. She's a, she's a little bit crazy, um, but she's awesome. She, she's just, she's just, she's, she's like everything you could want in a mother. Like I have really beautiful memories of my mother as a kid. Uh, she was, you know, she worked some, but most of the time she was a, a you know, homemaker, stay-at-home mom. And, um, and I just have these really just beautiful memories of my mom just doing leave it to beaver-esque things, uh, you know, just, I mean, hanging the, the clothes out on the line to dry. And I mean, and she did that. She had a dryer. She had a dryer. She did it because she knew we loved the way the clothes smelled when, when they had been hanging out in the open air. She just, it was just, she did it because it was just this pure act of love. Um, just, I mean, the, the meals she would prepare, the support that she gave us, she was very musical, played piano, and uh, plays piano. She's not dead. She's, she's still around. Um, she, um, and so she would gather, I had two brothers, I have two brothers, and we, uh, she'd gather us around the piano, teach us to sing, and uh, I think she had this kind of partridge family dream for our family that we would, you know, get in a bus and go around and sing at churches and things like that. And, and, uh, and so we did a little bit of that, actually. You know, it was, it was pretty common for me to get pulled out of school to go sing at somebody's funeral. And, uh, and so it was just a lot of that kind of stuff, you know. And, and she was, she's just, she was as, a, as a kid, when I was a kid, she was just a really amazing, beautiful mother. Not perfect. Like I said, she's a little bit crazy, too. <laughs> but, but a really great mother. And, uh, and, and as good as she was at all of the mom stuff, like all the stereotypical mom stuff, um, I think the most important investment that she made in me and my brothers was she was our first and chief discipler. Our first and our, and our chief discipler. Um, We got to watch her live out her faith in very real ways every single day. And when we were struggling through something, she always pointed us to Jesus. Always. She would point us to his words. She would point us to Jesus. Um, um, her faith was something that was, it was real and it was tangible. She, believed, she believes God will do what God says he will do. And, um, and so, I mean, I, got, I, I can remember watching her just sit out in the backyard reading her Bible, um, um, praying with us when we were upset about something or, or, or whatever. I mean, she just, she lived and, and taught us how to live our faith. Like, I, you know, we've done a lot of talk around here about discipleship and 
I think at one point or another, I've, I've said, you know, I don't know that anybody ever really intentionally discipled me. And when I think about it now, that's absolutely false. <laughs> absolutely false. My mother definitely intentionally discipled me every step of the way. Every step of the way. She took the, the blessing that God had given her according to her ability, and she, uh, she shared that with at least, and so many more people, but with at least the three of us boys. I don't know if you know anything. My dad was a pastor, is a pastor. Um, I don't know if you know anything about pastors' families and the track record on pastors' kids. It's not good. It's not good. Um, a lot of pastors' kids, you know, will end up, you know, maybe abandoning their faith or just kind of holding that whole church relationship at a distance because they've seen a lot that other kids in church maybe don't get to see. Uh, for me, I saw a lot of churches just really kind of treat my dad poorly. I swore I wouldn't drag my family through that ever, and, and here I am. And, and, uh, and so, and not only be, me, but both of my brothers are pastors now. Um, and, um, and, I, and I would say, and we all had different plans for our lives, all three of us had all, had all said, no, that's not for us. Um, but I would say, in a very real way, because of the direct discipling of our mother, we knew that whatever circumstances we would find ourselves in in church, we had a God that we could turn to through anything. And and so she discipled us in these really beautiful ways. And I want to share with you the importance of that. Not just for the sake of getting your kids to be pastors one day. That's not what this is about. The importance of taking your faith that is real to you in a society who tells you to keep it to yourself, to allow your kids to make their own decisions and not force it on them or whatever. I want to to challenge you as mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, whoever in the room, grandparents, to take your faith and live it out in visible and tangible ways in front of your children so that they can see, so that they can connect the dots between the God you say you believe in and the God they actually see working in your life. And live it out in very real ways and teach them in really beautiful ways that there is a God who loves them and forgives them and who will never abandon them in the exact same way and even more so than the parents that they have who love them and will always forgive them and will never abandon them. Um, Disciple your kids well. They are an incredible blessing, incredible gift that God has given us. And you've heard me say it a dozen times before that if if I'm able to have any small part in the building up of a church that gets to be however big and I fail to disciple my own family, then I'm a huge failure. We should be our children's first and chief disciplers. And mothers, you have you have a role to play in that that is so much bigger than maybe you realize. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you can never 
make a mistake or, or whatever else. Uh, it just means you live out your faith. And all of the up days and all of the down days and all of it, you just live out your faith and you point to Jesus and everything that you do. And this is what God's word promises us to, that, that if we raise up a child in the way he or she should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. Now, there's a lot of confusion around that proverb. It doesn't necessarily mean guaranteed your kids will be following Jesus or in church or whatever, but what it does mean is even if they go through seasons of doubt, seasons of weakness, whatever, what you have invested in them, what you have instilled in them will stick with them for the rest of their lives. You have, you have placed the imprint, uh, or, or, or maybe I should say, you know, God places the imprint of the Holy Spirit on our life. Moms, shove it in. <laughs> they shove it in. You, you, have, you have enforced that imprint onto their lives so that it'll be hard for them to wander too far away, even, when, even if and when they do wander. They'll have this nagging, annoying Holy Spirit in the back of their head just Constantly trying to draw them back. Constantly trying to draw them back. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to up into their, you know, 70s and 80s who have lived lives far from God and still towards the end of their lives begin to think about the Jesus that their mother would tell them about. Those things don't fade away. They stay there. As much as you try to force them out, they, they just won't. You have a very real ability to do that. I want to invite my wife up, uh, Jamie. Uh, she's going to join me now. And you guys welcome her up. She's uh, the first lady of the church. So, <laughs> so um, this month is, uh, May is actually uh, Fostering Awareness Month. And um, I wanted to spend a little bit of time at the end of our time together here talking about that and about God's heart for, uh, for orphans and for kids who need help and that sort of thing. Uh, there may be some of you in the, in the room that, um, that were without parents as a child uh, or even maybe without parents for a season as a child and, and maybe had to go through some sort of fostering or living with a grandparent or something like that, an aunt or an uncle. And um, I myself was one of those kids when I was very, very young, uh, three or four years old. My, my, my parents were going through a really hard time. And long story short, I was placed into foster care for a short time until they were able to work out their things, right? And um, so anyway, I wanted to spend some time talking about that. And um, Jamie and I have entered into our own fostering and slash adoption journey. And, um, and so I wanted to give her the opportunity to, to talk about that, what that means, and, and um, just kind of present that. So, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> First all of right. all, I disagree with everything he just said. <laughs> I just thought that'd be funny to say. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> um, in... Well, about three and a half years ago, there was a little girl um, in our neighborhood that was outside playing. We live in a neighborhood that, well, when we first moved there, anyway, primarily retired people and very few kids, and our children kind of harassed everyone, I think. Um, but 
just a lot of older people. And so to see a child in our little cul-de-sac was pretty exciting. And she looked almost identical to Meadow. They were really the same size and blonde hair and little freckles and all this. And they looked so much alike. And they, you know, kind of struck up a little friendship and started playing. And um, we just fell in love with her, just a really sweet girl. She started coming over to the house to play. And um, the very first time she came over, Jeff was sitting, I think, in his chair watching TV or something, and I said, Meadow, go introduce your new friend to Dad. And she looked at me, you know, for, what do you mean introduce somebody? And I said, just go up and say, hi, Daddy, this is Jordan. And she just stared at me like I was crazy, but Jordan walked up to Jeff and said, hi, Daddy, this is Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> and she started calling him Daddy. And um, it was a few weeks into the relationship that I started to get to know Mom, and found out that dad really wasn't a part of her life and she had never known her father and um, struck up friendship with mom and and just loved on her and and she on us we you know kids played together and it was really sweet um, but fast forward uh, through a few months and some time mom went through some struggles and um, ended up losing Jordan and when that happened we had heard a little bit about it. We knew they were up in the Tahoe area. Um, Grandma lives near us, so we kind of kept up on how they were doing. And we reached out then to say, you know, is there any way we can help, just knowing she was kind of in foster care with some just strangers in Tahoe. And at the time, it didn't quite work out, but she ended up being placed in three or four different places. We are her fourth placement. And in March, um, she had ended up with um, a teacher, and a teacher whom we know and love, one of our children's teachers, somebody who loves the Lord as well, wonderful home. So we just were happy to know she was in a great place. And um, when that didn't work out and we were told she's going to be leaving soon and we don't know where she'll end up, um, we sat down one night and I said, that's crazy, isn't it, that she's just going to, you know, be gone? And we kind of looked at each other and smiled and he said, no, no, don't even go there. Don't even, you know talk to me about it, and I kind of laughed because I knew it was ridiculous. We have four kids of our own, two that are grown, two that are, are young, um, seven and ten, and our house has been a circus from day one, and, you know, who in the world would ever add another child, you know, into that, and anyway, um, I'm at work the next day, and I got a text from Jeff that basically just kind of was like, oh, Jordan, dot, 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 and, and I thought, what did she do? She got one of his books or something, <laughs> did something to it. And then I thought, he can't get her off his mind. And I called him, and sure enough, he couldn't. He said, I can't, I can't get her out of my head. The God's just like tore this place open in my soul saying, you know, Jordan needs you. And she ended up coming over for a sleepover, and we uh, started making some phone calls and kind of saying, what's the process here? They had already settled on two or three families that she didn't know at all, had never met, that were interested in her. Um, but because she had a history with us, it was kind of like having a family member in their mind. And um, she ended up coming to stay. We, we sat down with her and, and told her one evening that we really wanted to be her forever family. If, it, if that's something she would want, we wanted to be her forever family. And with tears coming down her face, she said, and mind you, we hadn't seen her in weeks, months maybe. And she said, 
For weeks, I had been praying that God would make the Myers my forever family. And she went home and told her um, foster dad at the time, she said, Dad, last night, this was like a night or two later, Dad, last night I was in bed, and God came and talked to me. He's like, really? I said, yeah, dad, God came, and he spoke to me, and he said, Jordan, you're going to be a Myers. I'm going to make you a Myers. And she said it was just like in the Bible with Eli when he spoke to him in you know, that whisper. And um, so when the state adoption lady got to a point of talking to Jordan to find out what she thought, Jordan had written something on the paper that said, you know, something about for the judge to make her a Myers. And she said, what's this, Jordan? You want me to tell the judge to make you a Myers? And she said, oh, no, God's going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so she has faith that, thankfully, this family she came from had her in church, and she's just blossomed, but... Her faith, I think, is greater than ours because we're still wondering if it's all going to work out. We're still in that place. But um, it's very much dependent upon judges and the, the system at this point. Um, but it does look like God's going to make her a Myers, and that's, you know, where we're at right now. Yeah, yeah. Um... <clears throat> yeah. Why don't you just talk a little bit about how, um, like, what that this whole process of inviting... Uh, another kid in our family that's not one of our biological kids, you know, what that's meant to you and that sort of thing. I was thinking when Jeff mentioned the whole idea of investing lots of money and how it can be risky business, and most of us aren't risk takers. And um, Jeff and I have, I wouldn't say we're not risk takers. We've kind of done a lot of crazy things in our life that I would say are risky. But if you're a parent, you know that being a parent is risky business. And um, you can decide to have a baby and have a image in your mind of what that child is going to grow up and be like, but it is a bit of a risk. You, you do the best you can with what you've got, and we all screw up, and we all hope that God just redeems the best effort we can make, so it's risky, but I, I tell you, foster care, um, even though this is very new to us, and I, there are people who've got years of experience who know so much more, but it's very risky business because you're entering into a place where you're offering on. They have your mind going down two tracks at the same time very intentionally. One track is, I'm going to be an amazing home for this child, and I'm going to do the best I can to love this child, while we hope that this child can be reunified with their mother, because that's almost always the best option, if mom can get everything dealt with or whatever. Um, but in your mind, knowing what this child's gone through, you don't want to think, I hope they get to go back to mom, because you're thinking, oh, no, that could be dangerous, whatever. And then the other path they want your mind on is if it doesn't work out, if this child doesn't go back to mom, then they want you to be considering a forever family for this child, permanency. And um, so it, it's very risky because you don't know, and it's even still yet anything could happen in this situation for us. Um, but that being said, it's a risk so worth taking. And you know, one of the things we've told Jordan is, um, you know, there's nothing that you'll ever, ever, ever be able to do that is going to separate our love from you and our commitment to you. And I, I keep thinking about the, just the unconditional nature of the love of God and that we don't deserve what he's given us and that 
oh my gosh, just in this last week, oh, last night, my kids can tell you, the things that should have separated me from the love of God. Um, I went a little wacko last night. I get it from <laughs> Jeff's mom, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Um, but just the, we don't deserve it, but he still loves us. Thank God he's so merciful. And I want Jordan to experience that in a real tangible way, not only from God, which she will, but that, you know, in her family. And um, children who go through foster care, they kind of, they're so used to being let down. This is her fourth place. They're so used to being passed on, let down. Mom doesn't show up to visit. Promises go undone that they put up a wall and push back and say, you don't love me. No, you don't. And as, as often as we say we do, and she'll say she loves us, there are times when she says, no, you don't. No, you don't. She doesn't believe it. And so it's not going to happen overnight, I know. But my, my desire right now is just that we can pour every ounce of love into her and show her no matter what you do, no matter how bad it gets, and as bad as it can get for a seven-year-old, it's gotten that bad. So, you know, on occasion, just that we'll be there, and yeah. we're going to keep loving you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I just want to challenge everybody here today. You know, I'm, we're not saying this is God's call on everybody's life, but pray about it. Maybe it is. You know, God tells us in, in one particular verse in uh, James, I believe, that, um, uh, you know, God's heart is for the orphan and the wind- widow. That, that is what God calls true religion, serving the orphan and the widow. And, and so... Um, just pray about it, investigate it. How can you help? There are so the system is overwhelmed. There are so many kids in need of placement, in need of help. Uh, those social workers, social workers get a bad rep, but they are overwhelmed. They never go home. And I mean, it is, it is, we've really learned a lot in this process. Uh, reach out to Solano County, you know, Yolo County, whatever uh, fostering services. Just Google it. See how you can get involved. You don't have to be take kids into your home. You can be what they call a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate. That's somebody who meets weekly with the kid and has fun with them, takes, takes them out and spends time with them. And, and I was also their advocate at court hearings and things like that. And so uh, there's lots of things that you can do. Uh, but this is close to the heart of God, so it should be close to our heart too. Yeah. Currently in Yolo County, where we're working through right now, um, for every 1,000 children in Yolo County, and I think it was something like eighty to 90,000 children, um, but for every um, child in the, every 1,000 child in the county, there was like five or six in foster care. And when we were at our little weekly classes for a few weeks, just within that week alone, they'd say, well, 12 went into foster care this week. Well, eight went into foster care this week. They would talk about it. Some of the people there waiting for a child, um, but there's no way they can keep up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no way. So many children who need homes, be it temporary or, or permanent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we are we we got some baptizing to do, so we need to cut this off. But um, uh, God God has given us so much love and so much grace, so much forgiveness to pass on. Don't take lightly that responsibility of passing it on. For those of you who think I, I'm not talented enough to serve and which is not true it's just something you tell yourself or you or or I don't have the money or whatever what you do have is the love of God that you can share with the most important people around you and beyond and so do that amen amen let's pray father we love you and we thank you so much for this time together and I just thank you for um, your heart and your love and uh, your investment in us your trust in us with the gospel 
and uh, God help us to take that and uh, I hope that one day we were able to stand before you and point at how we invested the love that you gave us and, uh, and that we get to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we love you and we give you all the praise and glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God's good. Amen.